everybody and welcome to another E5 podcast. I am your host Paul Meenan and I'm flying solo for this one. Uh, we've got another guest in and this guest is a, a very good friend of mine and um, for those who have listened to more than one E5 podcast um, you'll remember me uh, agaling you with stories of the wars against the concrete farmers, the civil engineers, the hole diggers um, and various other uh, inter-trade and interdisciplinary um, debates that I've had throughout my career. And so what I thought I'd do is I'd bring someone on who's been part of my career and we've we've been through the wars together. It's funny enough how we became friends. So welcome to the E5 po- uh, podcast, Colin. Thank you, Paul. Uh, glad to be here. And uh, yeah, I am one of those certified hole diggers. That is me. Yeah. So you are there you go. the king of the hole digging concrete farming community. This is me. Uh, <laughs> we tried to get a bit of steel in there as well, if if we can. And then a bit of steel and glass goes a long no, way to making it. sure the job's it's, finished. It makes it look like we know what we're doing. So it, it's fair to say, Colin, that our our backgrounds are very much the commercial industrial build, fit out, refurbishment, regeneration, demolition. That's what me and you have worked on over the years, including yeah. a number of specialist stuff. Um, I've been your pipes and wires guy, and you've been my hole digger, labour, resourcer, slab maker for my panels, etc., sealer of my switch rooms, and this all the rest it. of it. So just tell us a little bit about your background, your experience, your role uh, and stuff. You don't have to tell us who you work for or anything like that, no, but just fine. tell us a little bit about so I actually came into the industry uh, in a uh, guise that is even more despised than the hole diggers and the pipes and wire engineers and our rivalry. I I came in as a quantity surveyor, Jeez. money man, bean counter that You're I was. A money counter. Oh I was, dear. Yeah, I was looking after the pennies, and I did that for about five years, and that was enough. I won't go into detail, but that. That was enough. So I made the switch and I became a sub agent with a small company that was working on uh, rail refurbishment projects and kind of came up through there. So, yeah, sub agent with them. After a couple of years, they trusted me with a site, made me the agent of the site. uh, And that was uh, some ventilation work on the underground as well. Uh, And onwards, that was from there, really. The, The jobs got bigger uh, the budgets got bigger uh, the problems got bigger uh, and our relationships with our fellow uh, disciplines became bigger so I started to understand more and more about what you know I needed to do to support the pipes and the wires and vice versa yeah and it's fair to say so your background you've done you've worked on rail transportation airports you've worked on a whole range of yeah. you know I've like me I've done office fit out uh, accelerina railway station depots stations all sorts of shenanigans i've done my domestic time as well um it, it's it's always interesting so you started off so that was kind of like i wouldn't say it's equivalent of uh, of what some people frown upon as short course but that would that would actually be a strength in, a, in the eyes of a lot of people because coming in as a, a quantity surveyor which is you're right it's a bean counter it's someone who, who who looks at the quantities of materials and time and labor and costs and and make sure that that's managed and tracked mm. uh, and optimized so that actually wasn't a bad grounding, but it's like with anything, if you join the electrical industry, if you work in McDonald's, you decide to become a spark. You can't become one in five days, 15 days, no. 25 days. It's it's the application of time, the gathering of knowledge and, and your own conscious understanding of what you do know and what you don't know. And then eventually you get to the point after many years of applying that, 
you become aware of what you're good at, what you're competent at and what you're not. And and I I think it's fair to say when I left the electrical contracting world, I left it because I was being audited and I was failing on certain things and I didn't understand. So I went and did a bit of auditing. And rather than going back into the electrical world, because I'd kind of done that role, it was more, why don't I go and work with the, the civils boys? And I got asked, uh, I think I've told this story before, I got asked to attend a meeting on a job where things weren't going correctly. And then I got offered to join that company. I joined the company and that was actually where I met you. Mm. And it's fair to say the first time you met, we did clash. I suspect we did, yes. We yeah. did clash. Just- just going back to your point, uh, you, you made a really good point about uh, you know bringing in the skills from the quantity surveying, but also taking a bit of time to learn the strengths. I mean, I actually took a step back in my career, if you like, because I was a I was a a uh, quantity surveyor. So I started out, you know, junior assistant, made my way up to quantity mm-hmm. surveyor. Uh, but then to make that transition across, which was very difficult, by the way, I just to digress very very quickly. I'll, I'll just tell a little. Uh, Vigilette, uh, I would, uh, I've made the decision kind of consciously uh, over the sort of three to six month period that QS wasn't for me. And that's no uh, disrespect to the to the uh, profession. I just found it wasn't for me. It was the, you know, the further you go up that career path, the further you get from sites. And I wanted to be more out on the sites and running the sites. so I, I, you know, so I've made that decision over the over a course of time, uh, and, and it was a. I mean, looking back now, it was. It's you know, you can laugh. It was a bit frustrating at the time because I'd sit, I'd submit my CV for a you know assistant site manager job or a site you know sub agent role or whatever it might be, and it became something that I was able to almost recite without thinking because it happened so often i'd get a phone call from the agency and they'd say oh we've got your cv but we think you've submitted it for the wrong job no oh yeah but you submitted it for the assistant site manager job yes yeah but you're qs and you've got five years experience yes well what and then you'd have to go through the whole rigmarole as to why you know you were doing what you were doing and it became something i was able to like i say recite verbatim because i've done it so much you were were building up and serving your time which is which is really important because first time i met you you were like um you were like the cave dweller uh, <laughs> so you were like on we had this um site set up with it was triple decked cabins it was okay yeah. it was triple decked it was a small city it was a it was the most complex compact large set out i mean there was huge steel members holding all this up but it was a huge triple decked compound of site offices with all the civils and well, and just, everybody yeah. else in it and just to touch on that, uh, yeah. as a bit of the reasoning behind it, because I unfortunately did inherit the shame of uh, first erecting and installing that compound and thus having to deal with its many machinations throughout the entire time that we were there. And of course, again, no criticism to anyone because this happens and it always happens and it's just something that we kind of manage. The uh, scale of the accommodation was uh, woefully inadequate in terms of the job as it ended up being because you lots, mean lots, you mean the fact changed. that we had what 24 cabins for over at one point a thousand men yeah. on site yeah, yeah it was it was no real canteen inadequate. facility you know a couple of no, microwaves and a four mica table so so the third story was an add-on after the you know the first two stories were deemed to be adequate and and it didn't just grow up it grew like you say, Paul, kind of on the horizontal plane as well, which it became like an intertwining a labyrinth of cabins and walkways. And I, 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 if I remember, 
I think I had to, from my office, I think I had to come out, go back in, come out, and then go back into your office. It was a crazy intertwining. Yeah, I got this wonderful little mezzanine office. (laughs) It was like this thing that poked out. And um, it was the best view uh, because you got the whole site. But it was people had to go in and out to get in, which was good because if it was raining, we knew people wouldn't bother coming in to see us. So we had a bit of peace and quiet to crack on. Well, again, um, I think it was, as I just had on, I I think it was partly because of why we're talking about what we are talking about. Uh, When we set up those offices and plan those offices, I imagine uh, the resource or the facility that we put in for the electrical or the m as it should be was probably one desk and one filing cabinet in the corner to yes, conceive it that it would be a army of people you know six or seven managers and an army on site just didn't well, you know well, let's put that into, into that context so when that job was started you're right there was one um e manager mechanical and electrical was as the phrase but it's now called mep um one m e manager who was juggling all the requests from a small army of agents, sub-agents, construction managers, um, finishing foremans, site supervisors, and subcontractors. He had to deal with everything, and it was physically impossible. And the reason I came onto that job was the, the director was going, oh, I don't know what's going wrong. And I'm sitting in this office going, well, I can tell you easily what's going wrong. It's your behaviours and your attitudes, which is wrong. Um, and and, and it's, I think it was anything, anyone in any trade, when you sometimes visualise what a job uh, is going to be the end product hopefully isn't too far away from the end the vision but sometimes it can be far i mean i never considered that at the start of that job there was one ME manager i got brought in and i knew straight away i was going to ha- i was living on the job and i needed a small army so we ended up getting a small army of about i think it was about eight or ten guys mm-hmm. to hold the hands of the subcontractors they were failing and rather than kick them it was literally hold hands bring them along on this journey um to get the job done and the end job was i I think it's fair to say and we can say it now because it's been well over 10 years since that job i was pretty much redesigning that job as an agent would say well that wall needs to move because the designer didn't consider this and the impact on me was always huge so every day we'd have daily meetings and there would be this bow wave of the impact from the change in the the wall movement the civils the structures the glazing the finishes is always going to kick the fire electrical mechanical systems so we we, it was i was on that job from start to when the actual railway station opened yeah no no that was that was from the day i started right which was when the first piece of unistruck went on a wall um to the day the station opened was 18 weeks and in 18 weeks i spent 16.2 million pounds I just assumed you'd been there at least like 18 months. Up to oh, my no, no, memory. no, no. So I was wow. there. I was no, I was there for only that period of time. And in that 16, I mean, the first three or four weeks, I'd spent virtually nothing. But it was then I ramped up. I was living on that job day and night. As you yeah. were aware, I, we had a hotel booked across the room for me, which I stayed in for two nights of, it, of a hotel. That does, make a, that does make a lot of sense now, because uh, if I start, because I, I was there because because I was there for two and a half years, uh, which is why I probably just thought I assumed you were there longer. But of course, when I start to break that down, uh, there was a period, because that job was originally conceived as being a lot, lot bigger than it ended up, even though it ended up fairly big and very costly. Uh, it was it was even conceived as even more bigger. Uh, and I was on site for a long time, waiting for design, waiting for design, doing survey work to uh, inform the design, uh, but not really much else. I mean, we sat around for nearly a year, not really doing anything. 
Uh, and then when it became apparent that the larger scale project wasn't going to be able to happen, there was a bit of a scrabbling around with regard to what can we do? Because we have to do something now. Everyone's here and we've already spent all this money. So let's mm. let's put something in place. And you're right. So we were instructed to do, I think at the time it was probably uh, a nine million pound refurb. It ended up being about 20, of course, as these things do. Uh, and that was only for nine months from the day we got that instruction to... Uh, complete and then opening the station was at nine months so so just on that colin um believe it or not because i actually have a i don't know if i ever shared it with you i've actually got a presentation of the project that we worked on of all the facts and figures so the total cost of that project was 65 million in total um which which kind of blew me away that i spent 16 in so little time um but it's an amazing project because i've still got all the data all the photos all the construction shots before and afters i've got some amazing amazing data in fact if anyone wants to see it i think i put it on my linkedin profile under the job that i had it's attached you know on uh, on linkedin yeah. i believe you can attach pdfs so i attached the powerpoint you can, yes under the job that i had this was at morgan est at the time which is now morgan sindel it's fair to say that's where we started working now um just on that okay so you've you've gone into construction management you've done um you've worked with civil engineers you've done all the planning you've done all the arranging and it's fair to say the one of the reasons why me and you became good friends was because you were as i'll go back to what i said earlier on you were like the troll in the basement um because you were the go-to guy for everything anything needed doing there was a finish informant and then there was colin and that was it and then it became on the m e go to paul and that was it and it was like we were the people that were running around doing the do planning and overseeing it and making sure everything happened. And it was absolutely, and we kind of, that's how we got on and bonded and realized that working together is far easier than working apart and trying to communicate better and and all the rest of it. But moving on from that job, this is a, this is a podcast for the electrical industry, not the civil engineering, although there's there's fascinating tales to be told because uh, a lot of, there's a lot of contractors listening to this will be going, how do I get a job working for a bigger, a bigger contractor? So if I want to move out of domestic, how do I go about becoming working on one of those larger projects where I've got a design given to me and all the rest of it? Do you have any um, advice or words for them? I think I do, because what I found, certainly uh, in the sector that we work in, you know, these sort of heavy infrastructure and heavy transportation sectors, is that there tends to be a reliance on uh, the civil engineer fraternity for project management. Uh, a lot of guys that come out of the ICE, it always perplexed me because they will sit in university uh lectures and deal with you know how a grain of clay performs in friction against you know a pile or some crazy formula it's about this along and only like a handful of people can actually understand absolutely battle and wrestle with it to get their mng or cng or whatever qualification they're going on and then go into the workplace and just project manage and not use or deal with any of that stuff. So what I tend to find is we put a lot of people in charge of jobs at quite senior levels who won't have an electrical background. They won't have a mechanical background. They won't necessarily uh, have had much experience either. So I think what a contractor really needs to bring, certainly from my experience, is a very good level of confidence that they can be 
trusted to deliver and provide good sound knowledge uh, to their client because their client won't necessarily have that ingrained within their within their organisation. Uh, it's still quite niche, I think. I think it's getting to be not as niche, but I think it's still quite niche. Uh, the electrical world and the mechanical world uh, and as buildings get more complicated more in intelligent it's going to become more and more important so definitely uh, in that respect it's been able to be very very trustworthy and impart knowledge and advice uh, you know don't be frightened to suggest that a design perhaps you know in one extreme isn't right or at the very least could do with something 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 improvement you know bring that to the table and uh share your expertise basically i think that's right now and and again so i'm going to give another word of advice because you're absolutely right there you should never be afraid to go in anywhere if you've been asked to go somewhere and contribute don't be afraid to contribute i have sat in meetings which is really weird because my dad used to do this and i've ended up doing the exact same i'd sit in a meeting with a designer go well, how do you build that? How do you build that? Well, this man, Colin, wants to take that wall down. So you've just said you're going to fix to it. How are you going to fix to it when you need to take it down? Because that wall's only up for six months. Mm. Oh, right. Well, that means another layer of temporary works or the cable needs to be diverted again and there needs to be ducts. And have you considered ducts? Because he's just told you he's pouring a big slab and there's no ducts in it. And you, you, you end up with your practical sense of I've always gone into every meeting and, that, and, and I've always had the very simple mindset is every meeting you go into, if you're talking about a build or a project how am i in my head going to either manage it engineer it or build it on site because yeah. you could find yourself in one of those roles and if i haven't got enough information on the drawing then i can't build it if i don't have enough information on a drawing or a pack of drawings or enough drawings then i can't engineer it if i don't have enough information as to what the intent is you're going to ask me for a ferrari and i'm going to give you a kia yeah do you know what i mean and and there are multiples above the electrician, the electrical contractor that can fail. Um, and if you're being asked to go in and support, don't be afraid to support. But make sure, and there's no shame in saying this, make sure if you're asked, get paid for your time. Oh, get paid definitely. for your time yeah, without there's a doubt. No shame in that. Yeah. There's, there's always, you know, helping out and giving a bit of advice. But once you go past more than half a day, you need to say, right, I want to be paid for this. I can help you and I can do this, even if it's as a consultant or whatever, because for anyone who wants to go and play with the big boys, it's not hard. All you got to do is basically just get in touch with the Balfours, the Carillions, et cetera. And you just um, email them and ask to be put on their um, SME supply chain small to medium enterprise supply chain yeah. as a supplier, as a contractor. They will ask you if you've got CHAS accreditations, which is generic health and safety box tick exercise. They'll ask you if you're NIC or, or NAPIT or whatever, um, which means nothing to the civil engineering fraternity. Is it fair to say? Does, does the, does the NIC little, or anything? I'd imagine, yeah. I mean, again, you're probably going to be either having to deal with... Uh, business development managers or supply chain managers or procurement managers who haven't got a back. Some of them won't even have a background in construction, might have a background in business, won't necessarily have a background in construction. Uh, and, and they might be your uh, doorway into the company. So don't be frightened to, uh, like you say, sell yourself. Because uh, like, like you say, Paul, some of these things, they'll, you know, they'll be acronyms and they won't understand them.
Well, also these business development managers, as as we use the term, they are effectively they're not salesmen, but they're the people that go out, say hello, do the engagement negotiation, and they're the ones that try and win the work for the business to keep the staff employed. So they're generally reasonably well paid, and generally well talk, good talkers, I suppose. Um, but they're also the first to get sacked if there's no work, because the books must be full for a major contractor. Major contractors, if if let's say if I went to work for, as a business development manager for Balfour Beatty tomorrow, I have no doubt they would turn around to me and say, uh, "You need to bring in a million pounds worth of work every three months, every quarter, yeah, of, yeah, every quarter of of mechanical and electrical work. And if you don't do it, then you're gone. Simple as that." You'll, we'll allow you one slip up and then you're gone because we're paying your salary and you, that this is this is how their costs work out. But um, so, yeah, so that's a bit of advice for anyone who wants to go into it. It's definitely a world worth exploring. If you are going to go into the civil engineering world, be prepared to do a lot of teaching and advising because I it's fair to say when I walked into the world of civil engineering, there was a lot of rows. There was a lot yeah. of fighting. Um, I will I will give a quick story of one where um, we were at a certain station where somebody was using a digger to dig up um, the yard, which was great. And, you know, digging up the yard, everybody's happy playing with their toys. But in that in the bucket of the digger was these copper rods which were attached to an 800 kVA transformer. And obviously, as you can imagine, that's that's an energized system. So I was having I think it's fair to say my first year working with civil engineers, there was a lot of conflict there was a lot of arguing and and the reason being is it's like with anything in life if you don't know the and i had to share my knowledge in a way that they understood it and you know like eat sleep repeat eat sleep repeat to the point where i mean it's fair to say that i would teach guys about earthing isolation electricity work rigs um basic but not all of it but enough for you guys to realize if you're working on an electrical system and I'm not on that job, do you have a safe system of work? Are you doing the earthing correctly and and stuff like that? And that I found helped me bond with a lot of the agents and a lot of the civils guys oh, yeah. in that company. It was it was cool. I, th- I think if I could just add to that, I, I think awareness of facilities and installations on site and running the site is getting better because, of course, the health and safety implications of not understanding those can be catastrophic. Oh, uh, and the union as well. And, and the union. Where I think an electrical tractor is going to have to put a lot of effort is uh, depending on how... See, that's the problem. Sometimes they're not brought in till it's, till it's too late because it's still seen in some circles as a kind of fit-out back-end operation, which isn't really the best way to manage. Now, where you're going to maybe stick up for yourself is during the build uh when it becomes apparent that something you're installing doesn't fit or something's been built out of sequence so you can't get your bit of kit to the room or you're you know you can't achieve your bending radius these sorts of things uh which not necessarily safety driven but more design and practicality driven you're going to have to make yourself heard maybe come up with some good solutions uh, and and probably have those discussions because not everyone will understand about the bending radius of a cable or you know the centres of the unistruct ha- ha- having to be such and such that they can't build that wall on on, on that grid line or whatever it might be. So I, th- I think that's another you've, you've hit a to nail, focus on. You've hit one nail on the head as well because I always encourage people don't allow your career to be limited. 
you're an electrician listening to this or a contractor and you want to work i work my way up from and through contracting into civil engineering world and and i found you're right people too many contractors bring the m&e as this fit out thing at the arse end of the job the one thing i found as the m&e manager throughout the life of the job the minute we bought that project in i was working on tenders and we would sit for for weeks at time. I worked on one tender where I spent four months in an office just tendering it. And every discipline engineer or manager would sit and understand every nuance of the job that we were tendering. And we would do presentations to each other. And I remember on one of the presentations, the civils guy sat there and he went, and this is we're going to build this corridor first. And then we're going to do the walls. And then we're going to put the slab on top. And 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 that's what it's about. It's about almost... Uh, block work building isn't it it's sectioning breaking a job into sections yeah. how do we build it and how do we reduce the amount of disruption and i remember throughout all of it i was sitting there mortified going well, where'd you get the power in how'd you get the transformer in mm-hmm. i can't get my cable and the guy said oh i've put you a services duct and i looked at this services duct and it went it went down 90 degrees 90 degrees 90 degrees 90 degrees and i had to say to guys so excuse me my cables don't bend 90 degrees what do you mean were well, they 300 mil four cores they're not going to give like that when you're physically installing them. They're just going to kind of swoop and sway and swoop and curve. They're not, you're not going to get a 90 degree bend on that. Not without great. And it will damage the, the cable. And it was like a 150 meter run. So luckily the guys went, Oh yeah, you're right. And we actually went through the bending radius of cables and debated it all. And we actually redesigned bigger chambers at different dimensions so that the ducts were slightly separate but the ducts gave us a successful route and we still added access chambers, but they didn't follow purely the route of the corridor. So the chamber, the ducts were built so that the walls could be built above them and, and it made the installations easier. That, the value in that means far less ball ache for the yeah. poor blokes doing the cable pulling. But how do you measure the successes of what you do when you're being proactive is yeah. very difficult it's it's very difficult but yeah at the same time it's so important i think you've it is really raised a good a good point there because and then this might be another opportunity for that aspiring electrical con contractor to make a bit of an of an of an impression you know the world i mean i did some uh kind of un- bidding during my uh during my tenure and the pressures with the time is astronomical because you're you're literally i mean on these larger scale projects uh going you know going back a little bit before the time of uh when it was able to handle such things but the tender documents would come in five or six boxes you know the reams of boxes that could take thousands of you know you'd get those boxes that can take five packets of 500 sheet papers so you know each box can contain up you know up to 2500 pages the tender yep. documents would come in five or six of those i mean now it's a bit more digital perhaps although i'm not entirely sure it's 100 percent more digital but so the big you know, jobs are monstrous they, they spend they years crossrail so, was being drawn up in oh, the early 2000s yeah so the time and and you know the big contractors haven't got the time or the resources to put to that sort of bid so if you you have knowledge and say look i'm gonna take off the section for you that deals with the electrical installation or some of the electrical design that we have to review uh you probably stand in good stead uh certainly with that that contractor the problem the problem with that is is and that's that's what a lot of contractors do i i've had a lot of times when i've had to go and mop up 
where you would um, you would have a contractor. There'll be a project, and they've tendered out, say, a lift and escalator package, which the contractor would go to a lift and escalator company and say, "Give us a cost for two lifts, two escalators, yeah. job done." Put their mark up, easy peasy. But the M and E fit out. They would put a, a, a provisional sum or a tender together. Um, they would then get squeezed on their tender costs, so their margins are absolutely minimal. But then the the civils and the glazing and the cladding and the architectural finishes would impact the program of works and this contractor would then lose money and then I'd be brought into my pop and you'd just be like, it is so important regardless. Even if you're working on like a, a small mansion fit out the where they do design work and stuff, it's so important to engage early on with any drawings that are produced, any architects, so that you can get your thoughts on how am I going to service this? How, and especially now, because if you look at like these mansions that are being developed in West London, never mind big office fit out, everything is, is smart. So you've now got fiber optics going around everywhere. You've got massive data cabling networks. You're having data centers. You're having smart controls, touch panels. You know, you've got electrical building services now built into handrails. You've now got it built into glazing where you can tap glazing now and it goes blackout. So it just uh, puts an electrical charge in it and it, it makes it like mm. tints it. So you've got smart building, smart. You've got a is the environmental efficiencies of of buildings you have to build stuff so it's sustainable which is using smart technologies um gray water recycling rainwater recycling solar pv you know measuring it managing it um showing it there's so much detail that you have to go from the con concept you have to have somebody with an electrical brain throughout the life of the project the earlier the better so if you're a contractor my advice to you is is Yes, pick and choose your clients, but find the ones where you can offer them a service where you can engage early, even if it's only on like hourly rate or whatever, just to give them some advice and some thoughts as an independent service and see if that helps. Because you may find if you offer that as a service, a design review or a design check, you may end up doing, I mean, I've done design reviews, you know this college, and the client have reviewed and put 200 comments and I've done 2,000. Because I've gone, how do I build this? Yeah. What's the detail? What heights my sockets at? Why am I even asking that question? You've been paid a million pound for a design and it, there were so many deficiencies in it. Or you'd get companies that would give you these cut and paste volumes of specifications that were, I remember one, I think the one we had for, for the station we worked on was, I think it was about 3,000 pages. And I think I was the only person that actually read every bit of it. Probably because were. when it came to snagging, I was going, but that's on page 97. That's on page 468. And nobody had read it. The no, little the little nuances that said, like, few spurs shall be engraved with whatever. Not labelled, engraved. You know, key switches, will uh, plates will be engraved with what they do and as a function. Because when you dyno label something, it will peel off in a workplace because people rub and that's why they wanted it engraved and all those little nuances that the contractor hadn't done and then once they'd done it wrong they realized it would cost them so they would then say well i'm not doing it and i found that to be a big problem but um just going just kind of taking if you had um some advice for an electrical contractor as as a civils man what 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 advice would you give to electrical contractors out there in general I suppose, I mean, generally, I suppose I would say, uh, obviously, just bear in mind that, you know, the, those guys are going to have their problems, their design issues to get over, their challenges with the build. So, you know, take those on board, listen, 
understand uh and then and then at the same time you know uh communicate your own in a professional sound manner so that a joined up solution can be sought uh you know we all want to get the job built and go home at the end of the day nobody nobody wakes up in the morning at least as far as i'm concerned and goes to start with the intention of saying oh i'm gonna or that i per the electrical contractor i'm going to make sure the fire alarm system doesn't go in you know Do you know what there are people are out there that have done <laughs> probably that. Are some, yeah. if you remember we had to get security because people were sabotaging the electrical we, installations as we they were, were going on yes well we were and i think and correct me if this is out of order but i think that was a slightly different uh motive there in that because we were near to the end of the job uh, and like you say, uh, we had to have the security patrolling, which is something I never quite got on my head around. But that's maybe for another podcast, given the project manager that instigated that. Uh, yeah. But my understanding was that that particular piece of sabotage had been undertaken with the motive of prolonging the job because it was coming to an end. Guys were starting to get it laid was, off. It was, it was known in the electrical trade as trying to spank the arse out of the job. <laughs> yeah. And the electrical contractor had actually declared very early on that this was their last ever project in the UK and that they were effectively going bankrupt or pulling out of the UK. So every single person on this job had effectively been told when this job finishes, your job's at an end. And the job was finishing in, I think it was October. Uh, I think it was scheduled yeah. for November, but we was, opened in October. Was, yeah. So they were all trying to get a Christmas dinner out of it, which is which is understandable, but it had to be open, period. In the civils world, we make enough balls ups our own that we don't need sabotage. We can drag the job out just by doing our usual performance of well, bringing, steel, bringing steel to site that is, just doesn't fit or whatever it might be. Or a transformer that won't fit in the hole that's been made. Yeah, no, all of those. The thing is, is I find as well, the one thing I do, uh, I always try and get to site as much as I can is, is the banter you have. And and that's the thing as well. The site managers, the agents, uh, one thing I realised going into the civil engineering fraternity is not only do they have the morale of lots and lots of men and um, to, to be mindful of, but some of that labour is non-skilled. Some of it yeah. is skilled. Um, but generally it's more it's very labor intense go dig go fetch go carry so instructions must be really clear so the people in charge are of setting out they have they have they are juggling a lot so as an electrical contractor if you're going in my advice is don't become part of the problem come with parts of solutions and yeah. and and communicate that very clearly and and that's where you can i think you can build some really good you won't you won't be yeah. everybody's cup of tea some people are and, and and it's fair to say colin there are people in our in the infrastructure industry who are bullies who couldn't yeah. give a damn if you were put under a bus who don't give a toss who just want stuff thrown in they don't care about the quality they don't care about the paperwork they just want to get it in get it done and move on and just claim all the credit there are just there's some there are some horrible people in the infrastructure industry yeah. but there's also decent ones yeah just yeah no I, I completely agree with that i've unfortunately seen that and uh I think we both have, you know, both together and separately. Uh, I was just going to add that, you know, you guys, the, you know, the electrical contracts have got ideas. You're living and breathing this so you know the latest developments, the latest in, you know, uh, ingenuities, the latest products. Jobs are won on ideas sometimes. Jobs are won on ideas and finished on ideas. So don't be frightened to bring those to the uh, the table, no matter how it is late. true. 
in the uh, in the build it is. But, I mean, you know, Bank Station was one because the 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 successful contractor came up with an idea to get people flowing through that station. They would build it for less. They didn't say they'd build it any quicker. You know, they had an idea of how to get people through that station. You know, they understood their client, what their client wants. Ultimately, I mean, obviously, they want to have a project delivered on time, to budget, zero accidents, all those good stuff that we all kind of work to. But thinking beyond that, when you've you know handed over the O&M manuals, given them the keys, you know, finished the the job effectively what do they want then they want to get people through that station as quick as possible but at the same time having a great experience and they came up with some ideas that helped that and were successful thank you very much i was on that project team for a, a very short yeah. period of time i was brought in to help get the transport works act um through and part of that work was um we were trying to look at the best value for the job and one of the things i came up with was moving the high voltage transformer for the central line upstairs so that we could get the tunneling done quicker and that and and i had to then build this is no word of a lie i had to build a transformer exact replica size out of plywood i then had to bring it into the station into the area i wanted to put it in document it and write a report saying it can be physically done to assure the client that it was worth investing in that the client then signed off on the idea which then brought the shortened the length of the project by 18 months and saved us a load of money and and that was that was an idea that just popped one literally yeah. i think it was my second week there but um and that's with a anyone you don't have not degree have to care enough to understand and say to yourself how would i do that how would i do that and that's really important now we'll 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 finish this up with the, the conversation that's hopefully not going to get me and you sacked from our <laughs> jobs and our careers anyone who knows us is listening uh -oh. so the infrastructure industry is not in the best of state it causes a lot of mental health problems i think that's fair to say yeah. it burns people out i think that's fair to say um what do you see and and i i have in my and i'm going to say this out loud i think one of the major reasons in commercial and industrial infrastructure contracting things go wrong is because of the way things are procured so procurement is when you go out and buy something. You buy an electrical contractor services mm. for a project or you procure an entire project. So I may want an office block built. So how do I procure it? Do I procure the contractor, i.e. Colin and co, to design and build it? Or do I go get someone to design it and then Colin to go and build it? And there are various forms of contract you can engage with. And generally it gets very administrative, very time consuming heavy as far as management and everything else and and some of the contracts get so political and so awkward the man the man with the spanner and the screwdriver or the shovel doing the work gets forgotten about and so all that stress and pressure goes on him and i've been on jobs where i've been told right um you've got to go in you've got to gut a room and you've got to fit it out fine no problem at all um how long do you think it will take and i'm thinking well okay uh let me have a look at the drawings. Oh, there's no drawings. Well, where is it? So I've been told and I go and have a look at it and I'm like, but only I can fit in this room. So it's one man. So it's one man and it's going to take him a couple of days to get the room. Well, a day to suss it out, two days to get it ripped out. And let's say another three days to get it all fitted out um, and, and another day for commissioning. And you get told, no, no, you've got to get it done in two days. 
well how put more labor on it well how they won't fit in the yeah. room don't care don't care and then, and then the wall of i don't care goes up and you're like but you're now physically talking x files you're talking science fiction yeah. fantasy and i have found in my career just being the person that says that won't work stop you're demented has done me well it's it's caused a bit of conflict but mm. it's never been in a horrible way but it's let's just do the job properly and do it once and infrastructure i've i've kind of looked at the root cause of why this happens and it seems to be procurement we procure things weirdly and strangely and like you know things don't stitch together you know if, if we look at crossrail as a perfect example because it's publicly documented yeah. crossrail procured the designs in the late 90s early 2000s they spent nearly a decade doing the designs fast forward to 2009 i think i was on a crossrail job where very detailed and when it came to the electrical it just had a bubble that said transformer for tunnel tunnel boring that's it i had to figure out all of the design myself and build the job and hit the deadline was that procured potentially well What's what's your views on on how electrical works are procured in general? I mean, I'm I'm certainly inclined to agree, and I think there's a, another issue in that, uh, to a certain extent, I think too much is procured as well, uh, and this yeah. this creates further interfaces that you know you wouldn't necessarily you could do without further dis further further disjointing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, what I've found when when I've been involved in the procurement is that you might you're you're looking for that one-stop shop if you can find it uh, and then that rarely exists so you know a, a big civils contractor will you know maybe procure upwards of four or five subcontractors to deliver what will ultimately be the entire electrical mechanical public health uh, you know HVAC or scope uh, and then try to manage that interface. And that's where problems will lie because they won't have the expertise to manage that interface. Uh, and they've got to be able to deliver what they want to deliver and turn the profit at the end of the day. Uh, so, that, so that fragmented procurement can be an issue. Uh, if if we can get either companies talking to each other better or a, a bit more of a one-stop shop to manage everything the i know is, we've attempted that before well the trouble is is the one-stop shop uh, led to the brown paper bag world of i'll look after you you look after me yeah, all that rubbish does, that yeah. that to me i've had it i've had it i'm not going to lie in my career where i um people have literally said there's your christmas drink and i've just gone totally mental and that company have not well they've not been around much longer um but it, it does it does still happen um the foolish and the few still do it i think it's fair to say not me nothing nothing no. around me i won't tolerate any of that but it's um it is quite scary that and this is the one thing i see a lot of the term i must have value you must demonstrate value yeah. okay so let's look at value i know i can go and get a building built with let's say colin and co purely hypothetical and i know you i know the the caliber of you your staff the quality of your work the admin the paperwork everything i know i'm comfortable with you i've worked with you before but now i have to demonstrate best value so i've got to get three quotes so i then have to spend a massive amount of my time going to two other contractors putting all mm. these documents out getting them in reviewing them scoring them assessing them interviewing them now that takes that could take me another three months on oh, my easy, time yeah. 
Now, that three months of my time, you may tender the work, let's say purely hypothetical, one million pound, and everybody else may come in at, but say, 900 grand, one million and 1.1. So I turn around and say, well, I'm going to give it to Colin and Co anyway for a million pound because they were better anyway. Or if I go with a 900 grand one, have I, sa have I saved 100 grand or have I wasted 100 grand on me and my team in three months delays yeah. and salaries? So I'm not actually saving any money. I've just gone with the cheapest who are then going to look to squeeze that further under the guise of value. I think I have a document. They will turn around and say, well, I didn't price for that. That's yeah. an extra. When we were studying procurement in, in our various guises, uh, one piece of advice was, I mean, it's a bit difficult if you only go to three, uh, but it is such hard work putting together a package. You know, three is... Or is this fairly understandable? Three is a minimum, well, isn't it? It's normally three, five now. Three is a minimum. Five is ideal. Uh, although I'll tell you one little story about how that didn't work uh, briefly. Uh, but we were always told throw away the most expensive and the most cheapest, and then look at what's left, uh, because you know there's something wrong with with them. But uh, yeah, but just touching on one of your points with the effort, of course. Uh, when I worked in that field, if we wanted three quotes back we'd have to send out six packages and there's so much work to put together because you know there'll be companies and this is probably another piece of advice you know if you say you're gonna i know it's difficult with a client you don't want to upset them and you want to be able to keep them you know sweet for future work and and, if, and everything else but believe me uh, certainly as far as i'm concerned there will be no black mark put against you if you you know for whatever reason don't tender a particular package if you're too busy or you haven't got that skill set or it's you know geographically it doesn't suit you whatever the reason if you don't want to tender a particular package uh, say so because there's so much work to put together to send it out and not get anything back or get a one page letter back saying we can't kind of price this for xyz is oh, it's demoralizing uh, so if you are a, a approached by a bid team with an inquiry to price a particular package just be upfront about what you can do and how you can do it just just on that colin um if for those who are listening by the way you probably um if you're wondering what goes in a tender return so basically uh, a tender document is where the client will say here's a load of surveys here's a load of reports here's some buried services reports here's some trial holes i've done here's some hand trace and tag reports here's what i want you to build from an architectural so the visualization of it that could be 100 um, drawings and, and also here's the sequence of what my architect thinks it can be done you're then asked to put a tender together with a proposal and that's what it is it's a proposal it's we joe blogs and co understand and receipt all the drawings and you reference every drawing you've received period because the last thing you want to do is send a tender in and then the client comes back to you the day after and says you've missed 500 drawings or mm. you've missed all of this so you have to reconfirm back to them what you've received and then say right so we see this as program it can be done in 18 months um but these are the options you've got this is how we're going to physically do it. The civils will be done by this with our supply chain. We will do it like this with two man teams or whatever. And you literally just narrate as if I was telling you a story of how I built a job. You narrate that and you just make sure that it has a systems approach. It means you don't just go, I'm going to dig a hole and fill it with concrete, put some steel and glass in. Bosh, you'll get what you want. A systems approach is when I dig the hole, I'm going to look to put foundation earthing in. 
um, because the electrical guys will need that. When I do the, the concrete pour, it will have the structural strength to carry a transformer because we believe worst case scenario you're going to need some transformers on the 10th floor or do you know what i mean so you you think about everything as a joint up demonstrate your competency to the client now as a client i actually i i use a scoring of 60 40 so 60 percent is technical and compliance of bid and 40 is cost and i've been able to do that in my last two roles now because if someone has the competency and the ability to understand the role and the technical people they should be able to win the job on that the quality side of it rather than just because if you do 50% cost whoever comes in cheap is going to win it because yeah. the commercial people yeah. just go he gets 50% well all the rest of them only add up to about four now he gets it and it's an argument if, if you yeah. genuinely get people who understand it they'll win it one other bit of advice in this podcast as well is the terms the roles within the electrical world outside of domestic you have in the commercial industrial you'll have a a site foreman which we all know because that's pretty generic but from a site foreman you'll then get a site engineer who's the chap who sits above him who maybe look after the drawings do the day-to-day -day planning sits in an office you'll then have project engineers on jobs senior project engineers they then report to project managers within the civil engineering fraternity you'll have site foreman finishing foreman assistant construction manager construction manager sub agent agents and the agents are equivalents of project managers so are the sub agents yeah. they look after packages you'll then have a project manager so that there are if you put the two levels together they they're not you've got loads and loads of roles for civils and structures and not many for m and e and it's the only successes i can find in infrastructure is when the two realize that they're intertwined not this oh because there's more and, and it, it's always been this way civils will always lead projects because it, without the civils nothing appears it's quantities the large quantities of concrete and steel you have nothing to fix to so they always will do it the the mistake is when the civil guys get to the end of the job and they go well the m&e can just be whip cracked into finishing yeah that's where the companies go bankrupt that's where the bad reputations that's where the stress happens and hopefully you can use your intuition to avoid that but learn my advice for electricians and contractors is learn about procurement learn about the different forms of contract come up with don't be afraid to come up with your own terms conditions um don't be afraid to know your own competency limits and be honest and open with them um and don't be afraid to chip in even if it is a difficult conversation um with with the civil engineering world or the infrastructure world yeah. the construction world and stay away from office fit out that's my personal one <laughs> nightmare nightmare okay. do you have any more advice words of wisdom yeah or, just or thoughts just just a couple of bits to go for it to touch on uh with the with the procurement and then i'll sort of wound off with a couple of bits uh obviously we're in a very digital age everything digital everything's virtual uh and we you know moving in moving into that more and more and that made me think of two things firstly uh don't you get the document google drive or on a cd one or whatever it might be that any less work has gone into it just because it isn't turned out of a printer at the end and couriered over to your office doesn't necessarily mean it hasn't been an absolute ball ache to create and produce uh, and value every piece like paul says you know the surveys the drawings the reports everything you know to spend as much time as you can picking through them uh just briefly on that waiting the 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 waiting of the scores i've actually worked on on bids on the con 
tractor side, the client side, where the weighting on the cost has been as little as 10%. You know, things like health and safety performance and innovation, uh, experience in that kind of work. They've held heavier weighting. So don't be afraid to actually, you know, put the job at what it costs. Don't, you know, don't think you're going to be, you know, going to be penalised for that. Uh, oh, you might be on mute, Paul. I can't hear. Sorry, that's a good point because health and safety now on sites can cost and penalise contractors yeah. massively. So I mean, yeah, no, that's a very... we've asked. You know, I mean, I've, I mean, I've produced either pre-qualification questionnaires or questionnaires within the beard that will ask for the last three to five years of your health and safety records. You know, things like that. So there, that's an important aspect uh, as well. Just wanted. To mention that and i suppose yeah i mean probably you know in danger of re repeating ideas that innovation uh speak up when you think you 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 need to because you probably are although it may not seem apparent the expert in that will whether it be a bid mid bid meeting you know, it might be the first meeting that you've had after being successful. It might be a meeting where you're just being brought on to the build and it's halfway through. Whatever it might, whatever it may be, you know, you're probably, without realising it at first, or it should quickly become apparent, you're the expert in the room, so they'll be fine to say what you feel. I think it's fair to say a project's only as strong as its weakest link. Mm. And and I'm I'm very fortunate. I learned loads from the civil engineering world. I learned I opened up my mind from just pipes and wires to there's a lot more work that goes into just that pouring of concrete and and all the rest of it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this off, but I'm gonna leave you one last question. What do you look for in an electrical contractor? If you let's say tomorrow at work somebody says, right, Colin, I have got fifty million pounds worth of electrical works needs to be done manage it uh, what, would, what would you go out and look for how would you start i think it would be a case of looking uh, for a company with a good track record you know in delivering uh, complex large projects uh, a company that uh, can be honest about their workforce honest about their current capabilities you know don't come and tell me you can deliver the whole world in three months when even i know that's not that mm -hmm. That's not possible, you know, be honest uh, and be open be, because there is always the risk. Uh, you have to remember there are there are two sides to this coin. So, I, you know, as a contractor, I will be looking for a uh, electrical contractor to deliver me those those sorts of things. Uh, and this is all going back briefly to your your procurement options, Paul. Uh, the client may have procured the design separately, it may not have been design and build like you referred to. It may have been procured uh, separately. Typically, that's going to be one of the large design and consultancy houses uh, who do have some in-house expertise. Uh, but there's always the possibility that they fed the client a bit of a yarn because they have a design vision or an architectural statement they want to make. You know, and that might override genuinely uh, usable advice about how best to deliver that project. Mm -hmm. So, again, don't be frightened to call into question uh, my information, even. You know, I mean, I might have been handed a design 
Uh, and if when you're doing your bid, putting together your uh, procurement package, uh, if you think something doesn't work, tell me because I'd rather know that as, as soon as than than have a something built and have to take it down or you know worse still delay the project. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. I think that's about it for me. If if it was me doing it, first thing I'd look for again, yes, uh, attitude, honesty, workforce. Um, do they hold any professional accreditations? And I don't mean NIC registered. They can be, but uh, as a client, that doesn't really, the badges the supply chain hold don't really mean that much to honest with you because it, generally the clients will ask for what they ask for. Um, it's more about their attitude and can I work with them and can they deliver? Mm. That's that's what construction infrastructure, if you go into the infrastructure industry or construction in general, you've got to have a I will deliver mindset and you've got to have a collaborative mindset. You've got to have a I can de-risk the client mindset and not just a lash it and crash it in and a silo thinking. If you if you go into a silo mentality, you're going to fail. Um, Think about repeat order business. You know, you, you want to work with this with this contractor again and again and again. Don't think of it as a one off job. Well, so you may you may think of it a one-off job if the client's a scumbag. Well, um, <laughs> obviously, is is a we, possibility. We, we, yes. we, we know that misery. We we yes. have had that misery we as well. We've, misery, we've yes. had the misery of clients interfering constant constantly in us trying to build stuff. But that's another podcast, maybe for another okay. year. Um, right, Colin, thank you very much for your time, Welcome sir. We'll end it there. Um, this has been a little different one for those who normally listen to us because we really are covering quite a, a diverse range of subjects in this series so um that's really it um thank you very much everyone it's it's nearly christmas time so batten down the hatches um colin thank you very much for your time good sir mm -hmm. and as per usual thank you very much for listening thank you very much for watching and until the next one take care of yourself and each other bye bye bye